There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the new and pre-owned Renault, Dacia and Opel range. And a car finance specialist on site to arrange a finance package that suits your budget. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday, post-bank holiday Monday. Wasn't it a gorgeous weekend? I love the bank holidays, that extra day. I have to be honest with you, it just uh, gives you that little bit extra, doesn't it, in the weekend. And what about the weather? Wasn't it simply gorgeous? And of course, yesterday, the big reopening. Were you out and about yesterday? Did you go for a bite to eat? Did you enjoy a wee tipple outdoors? Oh, it was uh, just great to see businesses reopening again for everybody across uh, the board and especially those who own the businesses and work in the businesses as well and look after us also brilliantly with their hospitality. It's much, much welcome. It really is. Long may it continue and even advance further in about a month's time when the indoor aspect happens. It's great, great to see it. It truly is. Didn't avail of it myself, to be honest. She did the home cooking as usual, enjoyed the garden and a bit of golfers away fishing as well. A nice weekend, I have to tell you. Lovely, lovely bank holiday weekend. And uh, anyway, settling in for a four-day week here on Late Lunch today. Let me tell you what's coming up a little later on in the show. Wasn't that shocking news from Waterford about the three-month-old? Sinead Kelly, our vet, is with us to talk about dogs and children later. Miles Dungan is here, the brilliant Miles Dungan. He has a great book out. It's called Four Killings. And it goes back to that strife time 100 years ago and... uh, County Meath. We're going to talk to Miles about his new book around about 2.30 today. Fergal Harrington is with us on the show uh, today as well. He's a matchmaker. And the uh, vaccine rollout has changed the game uh, with love matches. We're going to hear about that on the show after two. A new bar opens in Kells Bar Restaurant and Garden Jacks. A couple in the business for the first time at this time. We're going to chat to uh, Damien and Leona Farley in a little while. But as is our want, as usual on Tuesday afternoons, we open the show with Professor Paul Moyne. Hello again, Paul. Good afternoon, Jerry. Well, I'm, I'm starting to run out of things to chat to you about, I think, because uh, when you see, Paul, just uh, as an aside, three million shots reckoned on, on a news feed today in Ireland. The cases in hospital and ICU are well, well down. Cases are steady enough, Paul, but it really does feel like we're turning the corner. I think so, Jerry. yeah. So as you say, the numbers are like over three million now, like... Over 50% of the adult population vaccinated. Numbers are still reasonably high, you know, the three, 400 there daily cases. The good thing about that is that they don't seem to be translating into hospitalizations, you know, severe illnesses, ICU admissions. Um, so that, that's a good thing. And I think that's probably telling you that, first of all, the vaccination programs, we know in other countries the vaccination programs working really well. And most importantly, protecting the most vulnerable. 
and we're seeing that in terms of the reduced uh, hospitalisation. So hopefully that will continue. Some people would have a fear that if numbers did pick up and transmission did pick up, that if you had large numbers of confirmed cases, that a small, even a small percentage of that large number could translate into into meaningful numbers uh, in hospitalisations. But uh, we're not seeing that at the moment. Um, certainly, for example, in the UK, if you look at the UK, it's further, further down the line with respect to vaccination. I think yesterday they recorded the first day of zero deaths. Israel yesterday, and again, they're a couple of months ahead of us, uh, and they've got most of their population vaccinated. I think it's zero cases yesterday. So again, mm. it shows you the effectiveness of, of the vaccines. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear uh, that's happening elsewhere, as you say, they a little on from ourselves. But we are getting there. We're getting there surely now at, at this stage. I don't know whether I mentioned to you last week, just a quick thing again. Somebody uh, asked me to ask you over the weekend about the booster situation. Somebody who's been vaccinated already, is there possibly going to be a booster required? Possibly down the line. So probably two reasons why you might need a booster. One is your immunity wanes. So if, it, if the effectiveness of your immune response uh, wanes, that would be a possibility. The second would be if the variants escape uh, the vaccines. In terms of immunity, the good news now over the last couple of weeks, studies have been published showing that immunity tends to be quite long-lived. So if you've been infected with the virus, we know now that you're protected for at least a year, probably it's going to be longer. So it could be a number of years. And that's probably going to be the same with vaccines. It's not always the case that the vaccine absolutely replicates the protection that you see from natural infection, but it certainly does point us in the direction that immunity will be relatively long-lived. The other risk, obviously, is in terms of the emergence of various uh, variants, like the Indian variant or the Delta variant, as it's now called, and if, if that escapes uh, the vaccine. There may be a possibility, and we're seeing some evidence, that it may be able to evade one arm of the immune response and that's the antibody uh, response and the antibody response protects us from initial infection but importantly in most cases where you see people who have been vaccinated if they do subsequently become infected they tend not to suffer from very severe illness because you have a second type of immunity this T-cell immunity that clears the virus if you're infected and stops you from getting uh, very ill so some of the manufacturing companies some of the pharmaceutical companies who are making these vaccines They've already begun to think about this and some have already begun to re-engineer their vaccines so that they're tailored against the specific variants. One of the great advantages of the RNA technology which is used for, for example, by Pfizer and Moderna is that you can very quickly re-engineer the vaccines and produce vaccines that are specific against variants. And actually the technology lends itself to producing maybe a cocktail of vaccines that could be tailored against a number of the variants. So you could get a single vaccine dose that potentially has the ability to protect you from a number of variants. But we know these variants are changing all the time, but it does show you the potential we have in terms of being able to deal. And sometimes the race, you know, in terms of the vaccine against evolution and mutation of the virus. So down the road, there could be a possibility. We certainly know that when we give a vaccine and we give a second dose, get a better immune response, you get more antibodies, you get see more protection. Um, so a third one would give you even more. But it's probably more likely if you are to get a booster, it would probably be a slightly different vaccine tailored against any one of the, the other variants. Mm. Uh, the AstraZeneca time frame reduced, Paul. Is there a particular reason for that? Have they discovered now that it's better giving it at a, a, a shorter interval, the second dose? Yeah, the basis for that, Jerry, was Public Health England, they released that a couple of weeks ago. 
and looking at the different variants. And what, what they found was that if you look at the AstraZeneca dose, after one uh, dose, uh, and you look at the protection after that single dose, the protection is around 33%. Uh, with the second dose, that goes up to about 60 to 70%. Now, that may seem low, the 33%, but that's against symptomatic infection. So that would be all some very mild symptoms, very severe. I would say that they didn't have very large numbers to be able to make this distinction, but there were very few in that trial, there were very few very severe cases. So if you were to look, just restrict yourself to severe, and I would say the protection even after the first dose is much higher than 33%. But we clearly see with the second dose, you see more protection with the second dose. In the UK, a decision had been made to prolong that time period between the first and second dose to 12, 16 uh, weeks. That has now been brought back. So the decision then, the advice from NIAC was to reduce our initial intention was to extend that to 12 and possibly 16 weeks. So because of this um, perceived you know, lower level of protection after the first dose, and especially where we're beginning to see some of these variants introduced into the country like the Indian variant, the advice was to give the second dose earlier. So the advice now is to give it after eight weeks rather than 12. It's still a balance because from the clinical trials we know that the longer you leave the second dose, the better secondary immune response is. So it's not always the case that, if, for example, if you were to give an AstraZeneca after four weeks, it would be a better time to give the second dose because sometimes you get a neutralizing response to the AstraZeneca one because of the adenovirus that it contains. So the trials have shown that actually if you leave for 12 weeks, weeks you get a better immune response. So it's a balance there between getting a better secondary immune response if you leave it longer against having lower protection after a single dose. So that's why they've come up with that compromise of around twelve of around eight weeks. Uh, Paul, I'm going to leave it there for today. Your line's a little bit uh, up and down with us, just whatever it is today. And listen, we'll talk to you again shortly. Okay, thank you. Take care, Paul. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That's uh, Professor Paul Moyna there. And, of course, he is the head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Louise, will I tell you, do you know what happened to me at the weekend? What happened to you? I went for a 99. Oh, lovely. Did you have a flake? No. None? No, they had no flake. Oh, I, I called it. to one of my favourites on the way to fish the other evening into Mimnet in Slane yeah. and they had no flakes they had no flakes they so ran out or just like, just hadn't got them they hadn't got them the, the lady said to me there's a shortage yes there is mm. you know we were talking about it on yeah, the show yeah. and I was at the receiving end oh. of having but I improvised you bought a flake I bought a flake <laughs> <laughs> cut in half stuck one in Ken's and one <laughs> because he's a little bit sticky about flakes I would have done with that to be honest but jeez if you saw the height of it oh my god I was that tall my cone you know the the biscuit (laughs) after a minute she creaked I had to catch the cone in my left hand anyway uh, so there you go is it that important to you which I could have done with that flake yeah well I could have as I said but the other lad wanted his flake all right so that's why I got it you know Mm. so Uh, it is true it wasn't just a no it was was listen listen the truth in the news you hear it here listen understand that yes it is true (laughs) but I'm saying in a practical sense I experienced it no flake for my cones I wonder did anybody else come across that that you went in looking for your 99 with your little flake in it and it didn't happen if it did just let me know no no (laughs) whipped ice cream bye bye 
I oh. no 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 not at all has to be the whipped ice cream Mimnus is lovely I have to say anyway did you run come across that anybody out there today that you didn't get your flake in your 99 let us know anyway the contact numbers on late lunch 086 1800 658 you can whatsapp or text us to the show or 1850 715 958 if you'd like to call in what about Munster rugby players they might be good at rugby <clears throat> what happened I read something about a fire pit they were obviously barbecuing or something, or at a barbecue, right? Four brain boxes. CJ Stander is one of them. Well-known name in uh, Irish and uh, Munster rugby. Anyway, as I said, they might be good in the red jersey, but they haven't a clue by the looks of things. One of them threw petrol on the fire. Oh. <laughs> one of them threw, and you know, I know you might, we I might giggle at it. That. To put petrol near a flame in the name of... All that's right or wrong. Folks, don't ever do anything like that. Ever, ever, ever. Because like that, it goes. It's a simple... And it comes back to the source. You understand? Yeah. You throw it, travels back to the source of a can or any container. You are in mighty trouble. And these fellas are lucky. I think some of them are going to miss the game this weekend with the Barnes. Some of them got burns on their hands, etc. But thankfully not serious, well, as you said. It could have been a lot but worse. But it could have been an awful lot worse. It could have been. But there you go. Brawn and brains. Do they go together? Mm, I'm not so sure when I hear that story. I really ain't. I couldn't believe it that somebody would do that to douse it. But it's a real warning to everybody, especially, you know, now coming in and the barbecue season will be rattling along over the next few months, please God, with decent weather. But don't do it. That's a, a real warning to all of us. And the other little bit of news, Meghan Markle, it's a new baby. Yes, we know that, uh, don't we? You Lily said she has a new book. Lily Bet. Yeah, she's already made an appearance in the new book. It's out next Tuesday. So book Children's a, book. A book and a baby. The book the is bench. called The Bench, yes. Mm-hmm. And the baby's called Lilibet Diana Mountbatten Windsor. Weighing in at 7-Eleven. You know that store, 7-Eleven? Seven pounds 11. Uh, sister to Archie. The name says a lot. Do you know that, Louise? Did they not have to give up though their titles? No, though? I'd say this is an olive branch now back to... The Queen. To grandmother and granny. I would say so looking at those names as well. I would think that there is a little olive branch there. Because just in her book she titles it The Bench by Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex. Mm. I thought they had got oh, rid Jesus, of all those listen, when they, they left want, oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. the monarchy. You don't... <laughs> You don't bite the hand that feeds you. Well, they did. They tried to do it at Oprah, but uh, you have maybe a little rethink on that one. Anyway, we wish them well. Lots of new arrivals into the world, I'm That's sure. That's a lovely name. Over the weekend, Lilibet. It's a gorgeous name. It really is. Taking our first break and late lunch this Tuesday afternoon and afterwards. We're heading to Kells, Jack's Bar, Restaurant and Garden. Brand new business, open for the first time yesterday. As I mentioned, top of the show, hospitality coming back yesterday, outdoors, of course, and many established businesses reopening. But what if you were a brand new business opening your doors for the first time yesterday? Well, that's what happened at Jack's Bar Restaurant and Gardens in Kells. And I'm joined by the couple behind the venture, Damien and Leona Farley. Join me on the line. Hello, folks. How are you, Jerry? Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Damien Farley. I'm scratching my head saying, <laughs> my God, this business is a tough game. Look what's happened the last uh, 15 months or so. And off you go. Tell us the story, Damien. Well, I'll tell you, Jerry. Uh, behind every man is a superwoman. <laughs> and that's exactly what Leona is. Uh, we were scratching our thumbs. I, I was working away in my own kind of radio game, yep. uh, which we're still doing at the minute. 
And um, we were involved in a hotel, Jerry, uh, before COVID, but it closed down because of that. Mm. So Leona was going, do you know what? I'd like to do something for myself. What will we do? And literally, she'll tell you the story in a second. Uh, we were going, you know, will we see this as a, a positive thing or a negative thing? So Leona is a very positive person, put her idea uh, together and uh, came up with Jack's. We had a look around and we knew it was a well-established business in Kells for years and years, Jerry. It's a, it's a famous landmark in the town. Yes. And uh, it just came together after that. We got our knocked our heads together. We had a chat with Jess and Ray. And, and, and here we are, you know, after a lot of hard work. <laughs> Leona, what was it like yesterday, uh, welcoming people for the first time? Uh, it was just fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. I couldn't have asked for more. Even the sun sh- it was shining all day. It was just amazing. And people were just ready to be out, Jerry. Mm. And what's, what Damien mentioned there, you have a story. What's, what's the story behind this? <laughs> Oh, well, I was either going to learn a language or do something crazy, so I opened a bar and restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) I can always say I did something during the lockdown. (laughs) My God almighty, there's a fair jump from a language to running a business like this. There really is. It's a... It's a seismic move altogether. It but sure is, you yeah. know, you you, ha- you you've worked as Damien said there before in, in another life. You're not uh, yeah. green behind the ears altogether. No, no, not at all. No, no. Um, I sure I, just over the years, I suppose the line of work I've been in, um, from radio to hospitality and that, it's just something I love. I love it, and I just saw um, an opening in Kells, and uh, you know, I just it, it's just basically a project that myself and once I got it past Damien and we actually opened it says we'll open we'll do it together and we do this I convinced a friend of mine Ro Sheridan and she came in and the two of us literally the two of us did the work yeah. the women in mm. here full on painting plastering down to cutting down the plaster boards renovating like you know upholstering furniture you know it's been like the two of us have been flat to the mass since September last and um, just kind of in our own bubble doing the whole place up and now, uh, Jerry, I want to tell you they put me to shame I can't hang a picture Leo, if there's a picture to be, to be hung at home Leona does it I, I can make tea in a sandwich and the girls were digging holes jackhammers painting you know, scrubbing toilets, the whole lot. And I was just assistant. I was looking on now in fairness. They, you know, they were absolutely brilliant, the two of them. Rumour has it you're a good cleric of works. <laughs> I'm a good observer. <laughs> anyway, I'm just thinking, Leona, move over, Dermot Bannon. Here she comes. Right. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> the amount of times we were actually out painting from Derry was priceless. We actually, poor Rose, she got three paint jobs. <laughs> People were coming asking us, would we do their whole stairs and landing? It was, oh, it was brilliant. <laughs> mm. How did it work yesterday, you know, the outdoor aspect of this? You, you have plenty of capacity, I know, between the garden and outside, yeah? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a fantastic space. It's actually a really big space. So, um, yeah, so we have a capacity of about 120 out the back. Um, right. Uh, with, with social distancing and that, so... You know, we, we haven't had to learn that. We, we're, we're used to it, you know what I mean? We're, we're uh, from opening. We know what social distancing is. And it's, uh, you know, so it's been perfect, you know. And then yesterday was just unbelievable. It's mm. just really and truly just to see people there in the garden and, you know, staff working. It was just, it was, it was great. It was great. Mm, and you people. know, it was a place, Jerry. I walked. I'm from Rockfield, there in Kells, and yeah. it was a place I walked by uh, as a boy going to school every morning. And I have to say, 
everybody genuinely from the bottom of, of both our hearts, everybody in the town and, and around are so genuine and they're dropping in cards and oh, bunches okay. of flowers and getting mm. texts and WhatsApps wishing as well. So I don't think we, we, we couldn't have done it without the support of friends no. and family. And I know Leona, you'll vouch for Johnny Allwell. Absolutely oh, unreal. Johnny because when I couldn't, you, yeah. I'd give him the hammer and Johnny would use it. I, I, yeah. I'm a disaster, Jerry. But yeah. everybody has been so genuine and wishing as well. But I think yeah. COVID has taught us everything, uh, Jerry. I think uh, we're all been, you know, locked in for 18 months. And I think people are really appreciative of, of, of outdoor yeah. space and somewhere to go. And it's just that genuine feeling all around the town that they're genuinely wishing us the best of luck. And we really appreciate that. So oh, thank you, everybody. Hear, you know. so it is. It's great to hear. And Leona, as, as Damien said there, the, the lift that this gives people to be able to go out again, uh, leave the four walls and your own confines and have a chat and see others and say hello. You were right yeah. in the middle of that, I'm sure, Yes, there was some... Right in the middle. We couldn't have got in. We were literally meeting and greeting and the crack was great. It was great to see people and, you know, it was just it, it, very exciting, you know, even our chef and that. We have a head chef here. Um, his name is Ash Candy. Uh, he's an amazing, he's a Mauritian guy. And he's come from um, a restaurant in Dublin, you know. And just, we were so happy with the food, everybody, the compliments. And it just it couldn't have gone off better. And just to see people, honestly, the simple things. Simple things yeah, is right. Is. People, yeah. people, you know that yeah. yourself. You Both of you know it from your backgrounds as well. Well, look yeah. at Damien. Uh, I know in our game here and yourself, of course, on Classic Hits, we've had a, a job to do over the last 15 to 18 months as well. And we've uh, done our very best. And I know you have too. And everybody in the industry. Now we're opening up again. It's time to mingle once more and connect. I wish you both all the very best. So, you know what, Jerry? Appreciate so, so it, and you have a great show there yourself. We're big fans of the late lunch too, and we're off to buy a child a prank to put out because this outdoor stuff needs a good bit of weather. So we're hoping, fingers crossed, for the next week or ten days, with the sun shines for us all. Ah, please God for everybody. Good luck to you, Leona and Damien. Thanks, Thanks, Jerry. Take Thanks care of yourself. Bye bye. Jack's Bar Restaurant and Garden in Kells, a new business, a brand new business opening yesterday, and we wish all in hospitality, in the gyms, at the cinemas. All that's happening again, all the best for the coming weeks, months and years. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radios. Now, listen to this. Two thirds of single people would not date someone who refused to be vaccinated. Yes, that's the results of a recent poll. And to tell me more is the MD of intro matchmaking, Fergal Harrington. Hello again, Fergal. Hello, good afternoon. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for joining me on the show. This really surprises me, I have to say. Me too. Um, And we just commissioned the Amoric survey because we were asked repeatedly, day after day, by more and more people, are you going to be checking with the people that I'm about to date if they've been vaccinated or not? Because I'm not comfortable meeting anyone who is either anti-vax or is not planning on getting the vaccination at all because I can't put myself at risk because of this, that and the other. Um, So uh, we did that and 62% said absolutely not, would not go near that person. So I suppose it just, it brings about the fact that People are making their decision on their future uh, partners based on more politics now than anything else. And for the last number of years, we've been listening to people and they've been saying, oh, I don't match me with anybody who would have supported Trump or anybody. (laughs) I'm with them. I'm with them, Fergal. I'm with that person. (laughs) But it's the same with anybody supporting FF or FG or SF. They're very much like that. In the past, it was must be religious, must be a God-fearing Catholic, must go to Mass. That's 
kind of gone out the window because 85% of our clients would be RC but maybe lapsed they wouldn't mm. be going to mass every single Sunday but it's, it's all become very much more politicised now and their views on, on world affairs uh, will dictate as to whether they're going to go um, with a person or not which is very interesting so it's all very zeitgeisty but at the moment it's the, it's the Covid vaccine and it's uh, yeah it's, it's busier now than ever though it really is yeah I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute it just shows you the digital passport for travelling you'll now need a digital love passport <laughs> yeah that's it that is it uh, but I suppose it's um, it, it, everyone's very excited uh, yeah. about, about finally getting out now. yeah I'm sure they have look tell us about yourself because I know your premise I met yourself in Reno when you were starting out on this yeah. road I remember many moons ago and, and your premise was look you, we are different you, you're going to meet people it's not online it's this type of thing how did you you know what I mean reconcile that philosophy with everyone being locked away and having to go online well, we pivoted on the 12th of March last year. We closed the doors to the public, and because um, in the past people would have travelled from, you know, Loud or Donegal or Kerry or wherever they were, and they'd have to come to the office on Grafton Street mm. and insist upon that. And then when people aren't allowed to travel, what do you do? You don't close up the office and and and. and shut up shop and, uh, and give up we just had to pivot and we adapted and so everybody has been joining for the last 15 months via WhatsApp video call so no longer are, is the excuse available to people to be able to say oh I have no time to get up to meet you in Grafton Street because they just need 45 minutes uh, of, a, of a time to take a phone call is the point so it's streamlined the business to the point that we're actually on the, on the hour every hour seven days a week now and our appointments with the consultants are booked out on Saturdays for three months and Sundays for five and a half months so COVID shone a light on the importance of relationships and putting yourself out there. So it actually gave people the nudge that for years they've been putting off because they were distracted with work or they were busy with this, that and the other. COVID, sitting at home, locked down, no opportunities to organically meet people anymore because people used to meet either in work or in college or socialising. 80% of people formed their relationship in those, uh, in those ways. And when all those were gone because everyone's remote working, mm. e-learning, not socialising, what do you do? So we've been organising about 100 virtual dates for the last 15 months. And in the last couple of months, it's been kind of coffees and walks in parks. Yes. So people are still out and they're meeting and they're, they're giving people the benefit of the doubt more so than, than ever before. They're less picky, less fussy, which is a great start. And uh, they're giving people a chance. And uh, so we have more people getting into relationships now than we did prior to COVID because the attitude has changed. Yeah, and of course you mentioned there you had to pivot in your business. Tell me this, you know the way uh, travel or distance might have yeah. been a barrier in the past. Has it knocked down those walls as well? Oddly it has because whether they're in Donegal or in Cork, uh, if I'm not travelling anywhere out of my house, I might as well meet the best person for me that happens to live in Donegal. It's be- I often say this, I used to sell houses back in the day and I tell people on the phone every day, you're not buying a property here, we're not selling them. You're looking for a future life partner to meet the best possible person, not the handiest one down the road. And it's incredible to be to people that used to put that obstacle in their way and say, they'd, they'd catastrophize things. They'd say, oh, sure, geez, I'm in loud now. And if I meet up with that person, what if we fall head over heels in love? And I find myself saying to them, you're on the phone to a matchmaker. You're looking for love. Mm-hmm. Don't be worried about the fact that you might fall in love with someone who happens to live outside of your, your 15 uh, kilometer radius. That's not the point here. And an awful lot of the time with the online apps, that's what people do. They have this tiny radius associated with their profile. And of course, they see the same faces over and over again, and they don't give themselves enough chance to find success. Yes. And we base everything in here in a very kind of frank and honest kind of way. It's all stats from, uh, from CSO figures and census results. And in Ireland, there are twice as many women living in urban areas than men. So 
more men live in rural parts of Ireland as well. So if you're a woman living in rural Ireland, you're 30% more likely to be in a relationship. But the fact that women spend longer in third-level education means that there's more professional roles in cities, and that's why there's way more women in cities. That's why there's a need for travel. So, boys, the news is good. In the urban areas, there's uh, more than enough ladies to go around. Tell me this, coming back to something you said a moment ago yeah. there, about and what, which we started talking about, was this vaccination thing, and it's a no-no for over 60% of people are not vaccinated vaccinated that they want to meet have in a sense people become a little more logical and level-headed in this whole area now they yeah big time in the past we, we would we would decline about 20 people a day um and we have been doing that for the last nine ten years and that's the real reason why we have the success that we have but there's an awful lot of people out there that put so many things in their way that they're, they're not they're not being rational about what they want. Mm. They're, they're, they're just saying, because I'm single, I want, I want them living there. I want them that age. Like, age was a massive, uh, massive barrier for an awful lot of people. And when a man is 40 and he rings me and he says he's single, never married, no kids, I know I'm probably going to have a battle of the ages on my hands because he's probably going to say, I want some between 25 and 30. And then mm. I find myself saying to him, well, Johnny, no 25-year-old has ever called intro and said, do you know what, I'd like to meet a 40-year-old man. <laughs> So back in your box there, there, Johnny kind of thing. And Johnny just thinks, well, sure, I want kids, but I don't want them yet. He wants his cake and eat it too. And so we're thinking, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. We're not selling commodities here where you can pick and choose what you want and buying a fancy car or whatever. We're, we're dealing with humans and there's give and take and there's compromise that's necessary. COVID has, has really made people an awful lot more willing to compromise. They're way more flexible and they're giving people the benefit of the doubt. They're giving people a second chance. We have more people going on second dates, whereas in the past, there was such choice with people going on 20 dates a week, I've even heard of, um, coffee, coffee dates. So go back to cappuccino in three minutes and then move on to the next one because I like the look of the other one that winked at me last night on Plenty of Fish or whatever. <laughs> so it was throwing enough mud at the wall and something might eventually stick was the past sort of uh, the historical kind of attitude towards dating. Whereas now it's much more about, you know, longevity and, and yes. enjoying the company of a person. And we've had 90, we have 90 year olds on the books and they wouldn't have heard of Zoom before, obviously. And then they got around to doing it and they'd get, you know, maybe four and five hour long dates uh, out of the way on a, on a Friday or Saturday. And so they were building the foundations of a relationship way more than before. Yeah. They were getting to know each other proper, properly and really communicating and expressing themselves way more than before. So an awful lot of good has come from it. And more men have actually become uh, members than women in the last year uh, to us because women are much better than men at nurturing relationships and maintaining friendships and getting on to each other whereas guys if they didn't have the pub or the club or the GAA or whatever to go to they weren't likely to get on to each other and have a heart to heart so they were you could say feeling the isolation a little bit more than women Isn't that interesting you you mentioned uh, 90 years of age and of course love is at any age but what about second relationships you know people coming out of relationships when they've passed say the 50 mark or that what's the landscape like there huge enormous and because now in Ireland more people are prepared to actually get out of loveless relationships or toxic uh, relationships uh, and they realize they have you know a long life to live and why not get out and why not just meet someone and have you know in the, if they're 50s or 60s or 70s they're not necessarily looking to get married again maybe but they're looking for companionship is the thing they want to be able to go to a show with someone go for a bite to eat because for as they have friends and that's no problem they've loads of friends but they just they feel a lot of the time I don't want to be a burden on them I don't want to be just invited out for 
for the sake of it and being on my own. I just want company. I, I, have, a, I have a niece's wedding to go to now next month and I don't want to be going on my own to that. It'd be lovely just to have someone to call upon and say, here, will you join me on that? That's the kind of attitude. Uh, and they want the safety and the security and they know that we've verified everyone's identity. They know that we know that where they're going at all times. So they're comfortable coming into intro because we're around 10 years now as well. Mm. But it is hard if you're in your 50s or 60s and you haven't been on a date you know, for 40 years probably because you met your childhood sweetheart and went, got married and had kids, you know, so it's daunting for an awful lot of people um, at any age. 20 is our youngest, 90 is our eldest and yeah. everything in between. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, it's a, such a, a spread as well. But, but you know, you talk there about, you know, all the technology you're using now to help you as a business and arrange the, the dates, etc., it's opened up new possibilities for you, for, for, for sure. But, you know, getting back to the face-to-face type of stuff, you are different to, you know, just going online. You mentioned that thing, Plenty of Fish, and other types of online that are out there. That's like the Wild West. You make the matches. You do the work here. This oh, is literally, the, yeah. yeah. We, we have about four and a half to 5,000 clients on the books, and we have eight full-time staff members operating there on Grafton Street, catering for the entire country. We organise now over 100 couples on dates every single week and thank God since yesterday they're out on uh, you know, mm. physical dates they're meeting mm. in the restaurants outdoor, outside obviously and they're so happy about that so yeah no it's, 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 it's constant it's, it's, uh, we verify identity in advance by you know taking a deposit and that means that we know that the name matches the address the address matches the car details so everyone who's joining is well intentioned they, they mean business they're not looking for a one night stand they're looking for something meaningful long term and committed and uh, we turn away you see more people than we take on which is the real reason for the success and that's not because we're being mean or cruel it's just because we know what's possible and what's not and if someone gets on the phone to us and they're looking for something that's outrageous we know not to waste their time yeah. and, 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 and our own and our clients time so people are appreciate the honesty and everything we uh, that we have in place in terms of policies is based on stats from CSO figures and census results because in year one we opened the doors and took everyone on and it was eye-opening to say the least mm. and uh, we said what have we done we everyone told us we were mad to be setting up a dating agency 10 11 years ago and we said no 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 be grand <laughs> and we, we we thought for a second maybe they were right so we just got really strict and now that it's it's, it's a real well-oiled machine at this stage it, it, it runs yeah. like clockwork now so it's it's working nice what would you uh, pitch your success rate at? You know, that somebody or a couple uh, enter into a relationship that goes down the road, however far that may be. So one in four would end in long-term relationships or marriage and a third of the business is word of mouth because we very carefully, we arrange all the dates and we, we analyse all the data after. So we do all the feedback calls to see how everyone got on. And so we'll call 200 people on a Monday to find out how they all got on. 50 couples will go on pause on average every single week and of those, half remain together. So you're able to use a pause facility in here. If Johnny and Mary go out on a date and they get on like a house on fire, they're not going to make a life-altering decision based on one experience. They're mm. going to say, geez, we should probably test the water here for a while. Let's meet up a few more times and see where this goes. So they pop their membership on hold. They go off and pursue things. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, they come back within three months and say, you know what, she's lovely or he's lovely, but I think he's just better off being a friend. So Irish people are kind of, they're they're, they're advised to get into the communication side of things, to express themselves to each other, to not waste anyone's time. That's what happens in here. There's a a healthy level of communication and that's that's the most important thing because we, we can be guilty in this country of sweeping things under the rug and saying, Irish, we'll see how it goes. Mm, you're uh, 
you're flying along and I'm delighted for both of you. It's uh, been a great story, as you say, for, for the 10 years. So if people want to get in touch with you, give them the details there. So, yeah, the website is intro.ie. The number is 016-777-000. And best to call or email and we'll get in touch with you as well. Then it's out the door busy at the moment and it does take about a 10-week lead time um, at the moment as well. If I can throw out there, if any people listening have relatives around the world that, you know, would be sort of hungry sales type people who are looking to get a bit of an independent business started, we are franchising it and we have just rolled out there and we've opened in Austria in Vienna. Uh, that's our first well done of many so yeah spread the word spread the word is right spread the love intro.ie Fergal and the crew will look after you wish you well thanks for joining me take care take care bye 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 that's Fergal Harrington there from intro.ie so boys Varty forget about it you gotta get in there sooner I certainly could start singing got a warning from my producer there now stop singing putting your mic up <laughs> I do sing, don't I, Louise? I, I've given an old blast out here when I'm bopping and everything. Yeah, yeah. nineteen seventy-seven. <laughs> she does. She does. She has to caution me. Nineteen seventy-seven. Number five in the UK. Number seven in the USA. If you put that on at a wedding. The dance floor's full, isn't it? Yeah. That's <laughs> rock the boat. Yeah, it's one of those Peter K. Do you remember Peter K? Yeah. Did the thing on that? Yeah, that's one of those <laughs> songs that K and B talking about there. Everyone out in the dance floor for that one. Yes, that's John Paul Young. And we're speaking to uh, Fergal Harrington from uh, the matchmaking agency there just before our last break. But that's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that two out of three people wouldn't want, you know, to be matched or have a date with somebody who wasn't vaccinated? Yeah. It says a lot, doesn't it? Mm. It says an awful lot. It, it really people are does. really taking it serious. Like, yeah, that people yeah. really are taking it seriously. That is for sure. You know, you might not think so, but, you know, when you heard Paul Moyne earlier on mentioning no cases in Israel yesterday, mm. none, vaccination, you know, almost complete there. You know, you see the same zero deaths in the UK and look what they were at there at one stage as well. And they're still grappling with this for sure. And no matter what anyone says to you, unless we're all going to be knocked for six, vaccination is the way out of this you got your appointment yourself I did Louise. I was delighted with myself I just got it there before there the show and I was even more thrilled that it was local that mm. I don't have to you hear these people travelling to the Helix in Dublin and Mullingar and yes it's local so I'm yes. even more thrilled yeah it's great and and look we're all we're all trusting in this that, that this is this is the way for the world and, and it is a world thing because remember unless you know vaccination you know, goes out beyond the, what I call the wealthy countries in the world, this will be there, you know, and will be there for a long time. So that's very important too, that that actually uh, does happen. Um, what else? Oh, just on the on the, on the the subject of health related, did you see the news on the new drug for Alzheimer's? That's uh, no. just announced, yeah? Uh, they're very hopeful that they have a drug now that is really going to help uh, oh, with Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, it's still going through the process, but the signs are really good and those working on it are very confident. Yes, of course, questions are being raised. But imagine if that came Fantastic. to pass, that there would be something that could stave off dementia or Alzheimer's. It's a horrible disease. Oh, it 
it's the living dead. Yeah. You know, it really is the living death for Saying people. goodbye to somebody mm. that you once really loved and yeah, loved uh, you. Yeah, that they're not there yeah. with you. It's, it's just it simply shocking. But that was big news over the weekend. And the other big news, I see the new Northern Ireland First Minister has been nominated. It's not Poots, it's his mate. Anyway, uh, he's going to have to sort out this sausage gate. <laughs> That's That's brilliant. his first job, to sort out sausage gate. But Louise, think about it. Isn't it a bit mad that there's no English sausages can go into Northern Ireland? But why huh? can't they make their own? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why He's it is. He's telling porkies. I couldn't resist. Oh, and then she couldn't resist. It. it is right. But that's his first job to do is to sort out uh, the, the sausage egg. They can't have sausages or chilled foods coming from the UK into Northern Ireland because of the single marketing. They're going to have to get to grips with this somewhere. I don't know how they do. Maybe it's just... What is it? In case they're sold on? Yeah, it, that it would compromise the European single market. You know, that's mm. the that's the, the, the situation. It's with funny. It isn't it? But the new Little man. things you don't think of. There you are. Imagine coming into office as first minister and the new man, uh, you know, has to deal with this. My, oh my, uh, what a situation to have to deal with. Sausages. Paul, G- talk to Peter Paul Given is the new man, is the new nominee as Northern Ireland first minister. We wish him well with the sausages and everything else. I'll tell you, sausages are the least of his worries, to be sure. Coming up next on Late Lunch, the brilliant Miles Dungan is with us. You're spot on, Paddy. I was talking there about Sausage Gate in Northern Ireland for the new First Minister and Paddy said it's time to get on the scent of the Cookstown sizzle. I remember it well. Georgie Best was advertising the Cookstown sausages. God, Paddy, you have a great memory, I have to say. Brilliant, brilliant. Brought a smile to me face for sure. Now, moving on on Late Lunch, my next guest is a broadcaster and historian. He presents the History Show on RTE Radio 1 and his weekly On This Day column for Drive Time is now in its second year. It's brilliant. His latest work, I have it here sitting beside me, I've had it for a while, is called Four Killers. Land, hunger, murder and family in the Irish Revolution. He's on the line to me. Miles Dungan, good afternoon again. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, you're on to a winner here, boy. I can tell you that for sure. It's simply brilliant. Congratulations on the book. Can I ask you this to start? On your history show, you had an edition of the programme called Three Killings, of which three of them are included in this book. Tell me the story of the four jumping in to complete the four. Yeah, that was a discounted version, Ah. obviously, of the book, Jerry. It was a 25% uh, off deal. Um, Anyway, the the Three Killings programme was because I just dealt with three murders, three killings that were uh, involved in the War of Independence because we were in the middle of a series on the War of Independence. The fourth killing is the first one, actually. Yes. Uh, uh, And it happened in in the Wild West. It happened in Arizona in 1915. And it was a man called Jack Clinton, who was a cousin of my grandmother. So he would be a, a, you know, distantly related to me. I I can never work these things out. Uh, He would be, I don't know, a second cousin or something along those lines. But um, he uh, he was from uh, Cormine in uh, North Meath, in Northwest Meath, near the Cavan border, emigrated to the States with almost all of his brothers and sisters and ended up married a, a woman called Delia Varley from Mayo uh, in San Francisco, and then moved to Arizona, 
put in a claim for what they called a homestead, 160 acres you got from the federal government, and you pay you handed over something like five dollars. And if you managed to make a go of it, and if you were still going after five years, you got to keep the land. Mm. Problem was that this was land that up to that point had been used by these massive cattle companies. You've seen them on yes. Westerns. They, I mean, literally thousands of steers roaming over federal land, grazing on federal land. Not, it doesn't cut, didn't cost anything. They weren't paying the, the, the uh, cattle companies weren't paying. Now this land is being taken over by a number of small homesteaders who are fencing off the, the land. So you can imagine the reaction wouldn't have been, mm. wouldn't have been very good. There was a lot of tension in that part of uh, of Arizona, Cochise County, named after the great Apache war chief, yes. right on the Mexican border. And essentially what happened was that this exploded in violence on a particular day in June 1915. There was a confrontation between Jack Clinton and one of the employees of this uh, company, and uh, then later in the day, there was a there was basically a fist fight. And then later in the day, that cowboy, uh, a man called Ed Scarborough, accompanied by another cowboy, arrive at the homestead of Jack Clinton, call him out and put four bullets into him. Oh, so that's the first killing. That was the very first. And then really the precise opposite is the second one. What happened to Mark, uh, Mark Clinton, a cousin of Jack, back here in Ireland? He's actually a nephew, yeah, nephew of, Sorry. of, of Jack Clinton. Yeah. He was the son of uh, Joe Clinton. Joe Clinton inherited the Clinton family farm uh, in Cloga near Cormean in, in County Meath. And um, what happened there was that the cousins of the Clintons called Smiths had land in a couple of different places. And uh, and there was, at the time, a, a sort of a, a range war going on. There was a gang in that part of the world called the Cormean Gang who were basically stealing people's land. They mm. were seizing land. They were throwing people off uh, land. And they wanted a patch of land which belonged to the Smith family, who were cousins of the Clintons. The Smith family came to the Clintons and said, right, will you support us? Clinton said, yes. Smith said, right, you can rent, you can rent the land at a, at a, at a discount, which they did. Um, Peter Clinton, who was the son of Joe Clinton, went into this particular field in uh, Cormean one day and was, was shot at and was hit, uh, was, wasn't particularly severely wounded, but he was wounded nonetheless. And a couple of days later, his brother Mark goes into the same field with two plough horses. Five guys show up with weapons uh, somebody kills the two plough horses and then nobody knows precisely what happened. Uh, but uh, the next thing is that uh, they, they shoot Mark Clinton. They shoot him dead. He survived for a while, survived enough uh, to be able to talk to his father as he died. But he died in Joe Clinton's arms. Oh, my, oh, my. And then as the result of that, of course, there were inquiries, there were arrests made. And the third is actually uh, the man who was sentenced to death for the killing. Yeah, Mark Clinton was an IRA volunteer and that was the difference mm. because Sean Boylan, father of uh, the great Meath uh, football manager, uh, decided, took this very personally because Pat Clinton, brother of Mark Clinton, was his intelligence officer. 
and took it very personally and decided, right, we're going to put a stop to the activities of this gang. Uh, So the members of the gang, because everybody knew who they were, were rounded up. The only person they didn't manage to round up was the guy who actually pulled the trigger on Mark Clinton. And he was a guy called William Gordon, who lived in a a, a townland called Trohanny near Bailabur in Cavan. And he was lifted by the RIC, not for murdering Mark Clinton, but for possession of a weapon, prompting the suspicion that the RIC knew that the IRA were coming for Gordon and coming for the rest of them, and that they decided that uh, they wanted to extract Gordon from the area. So they duly did send, put him into, into Mount Joy, where I suspect he was used as a spy uh, to, to spy on IRA prisoners. And then is brought back down to Navan to face charges of possession of a weapon. The charges are almost immediately dismissed, but Boylan is watching uh, events and a, a Meath Chronicle journal, a journalist called Hayes, uh, who I presume is uh, uh, probably related to uh, the, the great Meath footballer, Liam Hayes, yeah. um, he tips off Boylan that uh, Gordon is now on the loose. Um, Gordon makes a big mistake. Rather than leave the vicinity as fast as possible, he decides to go on a bender and does so with a couple of RIC men, is traced to the Flathouse pub, still there in uh, Navan, and uh, Boylan basically arrives with a revolver, sticks up the two RIC men, kidnaps uh, William Gordon, and takes him to Dunboyne, where he is put on trial twice. And, you know, the full panoply. This is not a kind of a a kangaroo or an IRA kangaroo court. This is uh, three judges uh, come down from Dublin. There are defence counsel. There's prosecuting counsel. He's found guilty. And Boylan doesn't, wasn't quite sure what to do. Boylan goes to Michael Collins, who's a very good friend of his, both members of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. And uh, Boylan says, what do I do? Collins says, hang on, I'll go and I'll talk to the cabinet. So he talks to the cabinet. Cabinet says, no, uh, put him back on trial again. So they put him on trial again. Again, he's convicted. Collins on this occasion says, you do whatever you feel you need to do. Boylan is convinced that if he um, just disciplines uh, um, uh, Gordon. If Gordon is exiled, all of the other members of this Cormine gang, by the way, have been sent into exile. Uh, Boylan, however, decides that he can't afford to do that with, with Gordon, that Gordon will come back and uh, Gordon will basically uh, become a, a, an operator, a spy, an informer operating for the RIC. So he decides that, he, that uh, Gordon will be executed. So that's killing number three. And then the fourth one, there was just a week before the truce uh, yeah. came into effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're approaching the, the centenary, actually, of the fourth killing is in, is in just a few weeks. It was on the night of the second stroke, third of July, of 1921 and this involved a uh, a young uh, a youth basically a 19 year old young man and uh his name was patrick keelan and patrick keelan had fallen out with his employer keelan had informed the uh, the crown authorities the crown forces that his employer was who was a farmer um was storing guns on his on his farm this guy is then lifted he's taken to mount joy um, the IRA move in. They uh, they kidnap Keelan. They bring him to uh, to a house, actually ironically near Cormine, near the Clinton farm, and he's interrogated. And uh, he is warned. Uh, he's given a warning, and he's told, "No, be a good boy, be a good behavior. Off you go." 
Um, what Keelan decides to do is rather than be of good behavior, he goes to the Black and Tans and the Black and Tans take him to the house where he was interrogated and they attempt to burn the house down. They're unsuccessful in doing so, but they they try they try their try their best. And then for the next three months or so, Keelan becomes what they call an identifier. He travels around with the Tans. Um, identifying individuals and identifying buildings which would have housed members of Sinn Féin or the IRA and the Tans do, host you imagine the Tans uh, mm. would do in the circumstances. Keelan then makes the mistake, um, he obviously misses his mammy and uh, one night he goes home to uh, the house, his house near Kilmainham Wood and uh, the IRA are tipped off immediately that uh, he's back. He's 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 uh, he's out of the. He's no longer in the clutches of the, the the sanctuary or the safety of the Black and Tans. They lift him, and very in very very short order, um, he he faces a, a a very rapid court martial and is sentenced to death. And involved in his execution are. The Peter Clinton, whom I mentioned, who was wounded in the field in Cormine. Um, I don't know whether he was in the firing squad or not. And my two uh, McKenna granduncles, T.P. McKenna, who would be an uncle of the actor T.P. McKenna, and uh, John McKenna. So they are involved in the uh, uh, in the, the operation, the IRA operation, where um, Patrick Heenan is brought to Gary Ardwood outside Minolte and is shot and is then uh, buried in a shallow grave in Garyard Wood. My, oh, my. You know, I'm I'm listening to you here and having had the book, and you know what it makes me feel or, or think about? You know, we look at other parts of the world where there's strife and conflict, and we think of the horror. This was real here, happening in County Mead 100 years ago. Absolutely. And this, the thing, the point I make in the book is that County Meath, Cavan Meath, uh, you know, this part of the world wouldn't have been the most active when it came to the War of Independence. Mm. But the IRA in Meath executed more civilians than the combined fatalities of the IRA and the Crown Forces in Meath during the War of Independence. So there were six fatalities uh, uh, between three IRA, three members of the of the Crown Forces. And the IRA, to, by my count, executed at least eight um, uh, civilians, mostly for uh, spying, stroke, informing, in the case of Gordon, for murder. Gordon's case is unique, by the way. He's the only person to have been executed by the IRA during the War of Independence for murder. Mm. Incredible to try and take all of this in, and you've done brilliantly to weave them in together in in the way you have. But the other aspect of this is you you talk about the politics there, and of course, uh, you know, it was coming to a time where we were striving for independence and the partition and the northern state. But the other thing is the nineteenth century subdivision of Irish agri- agricultural land. My word. That carried on for years and years, didn't it? And was the root cause of, you know, what, what something you've talked about there, aspects of it. Yeah, absolutely. This all, not all of it, but certainly the, the, the first part of the story, the Clinton story, goes back to the land war. I mean, uh, there are 
numerous references in the book to members of this Cormean gang, one in particular uh, whose family would have been dispossessed during the land war. And uh, that was something that this is, we're talking about the 1880s. Yes. Uh, and in fact, you know, it, it goes back even, even further than that, dispossession and people who feel aggrieved, people who feel that their family had a right to a particular piece of, of land because, you know, 40, 50 years beforehand, their family had been evicted from that piece of land. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you also had during the War of Independence period, you had this kind of parallel war that nobody really has paid too much attention to. Yeah. I mention it, I bring it up a lot in the book. And it's essentially, a, it's a land war. There, yeah. there were land seizures taking place all over uh, Ireland and particularly in this part of the woods, particularly Meath, West Meath, over as far as Roscommon, for example. Mm. Oh, you had it was you know, uh, all these land seizures going on all yeah, the time. Yeah, fractious, fractious time, Miles. You've done brilliantly. The book is fantastic. It's called Thanks, Four Jerry. Killings by Miles Dungan. It's widely available at the moment. And if you love your history, you want to uh, go back into a time not that long ago in this country to relive events in this neck of the woods here in the Northeast. And of course, in the States, number four or number one in the book, if you talk about the killings, this is the book to get. Miles, well done to you. Congratulations on the book and I'm delighted uh, you joined me on the show this afternoon Jerry, my pleasure thank you very much indeed for having me good to talk to you again take care of yourself bye bye that's the brilliant Miles Dungan Miles Dungan speaking to me there isn't he brilliant he's a fantastic guy he really is and this book is superb it really is four killings mainly centred in County Me they have to say with the US angle on it as well I have my copy to give away to somebody this afternoon if you'd like it if you love your history you love this book I can assure you even if you haven't dabbled into it before it will teach you a lot about the times as I said to think about all that happened back 100 years ago it was a terrible terrible time it really was for Miles book four killings the question today the Anglo-Irish treaty was signed in London on what date the Anglo-Irish treaty was signed in London on what date in 1921 it was in 1921 signed in London on what date I want the date in 1921 if you uh, text or WhatsApp your answer to 086 658 with your name and details I'll pick somebody and you can have that book and enjoy I'll send it out to you straight after the show today the internet is down at the minute I believe uh, around the world you were telling me Louise the story broke there just before we came on air some of the big websites Amazon the UK government uh, and more CNN is down uh, any idea or what's happening or is it another cyber attack we're talking about like the HSE? I think the last time I, I saw it on the news they were they had ruled that out. They'd rule any cyber attack. I think it's just a, a, a server issue. Okay, so a fault in the system. But doesn't it just show you again how dependent, you know, so many, ourselves and organisations and business and everything, if something happens... But so many are were linked to this. Mm. I think it's called Fastly. I think that was the name of it. That was the, the problem, is it? Yeah, or yeah. is the problem at the moment. Yeah, I was just trying to look up something around lunchtime there in the CNN and it just said to me, not available. So it, it was like that the, at that stage. The British government, that website was hit as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, coming on back of our troubles here with the You the automatically HSC. think, don't you? It could mm. be hacked. 
well there you are so it's not it's not a hack this time there's nobody looking for a ransom it's just a fault in the system I'm sure there's panic stations wherever that is they're all onto it straight away there uh, trying to sort it out and just another little thing for you it's World Environment Day today in case you didn't know we love our uh, nature and natural Mm. life and environment here in late lunch but it's not all doom and gloom. Did you see that? That there are some rare species actually being saved. Isn't that lovely? It's good to hear. Yeah. Because you have the impression that everything is doomed. But it's actually not the case. And the other thing is that the wind and solar energy, you know, that aspect of producing energy, is actually uh, really growing. And it's doubled its share since the last, um, you know, measurements were taken. Uh, in terms More of... More people are using yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah and, and it's been produced and it's there available instead of, you know, the burning of the fossil fuels and all the uh, the nasty stuff like that. So on it World Environment Day, there is positivity as well. You know, you might think that it's all negative, but it's not. People are working hard, you know, to uh, save this yeah. planet for I future think COVID, generations. The, the, the one positive thing about COVID was it gave the planet a little break it to did. breathe. It did. And I just noticed the weekend for the first time a few planes flying overhead. We were mm. on a flight path into Dublin Airport. Right. And uh, I just happened Can to you, note... Are they very noticeable? Like, ah, you'd notice, you'd, yeah. When they weren't there, you noticed the skies were quiet. Like, yeah. you know, and, and on a day when we get a good east wind, they do come in low over where we live and you'd see plenty of planes. There's been very little. You're right, that's been off the agenda and it's helped. There's no doubt about it. Miriam called in to ask, uh, is anybody waiting 42 days to be called for the vaccine? She's 61, registered on the 27th of April and hasn't been called yet. Anybody else in that boat there you might let us know? Seems like a long time. I'd get back onto the Miriam, to be honest with you, if I were you. The winner of the book, yes, Miles Dungan's brilliant book, Four Killings, is Column York from King's Court. It's yours, Column. Enjoy. 6th of the 12th, 21, the Anglo-Irish Treaty was signed 6th of December. Thanks to everybody who sent us in the correct answer. Really appreciated. Ned Lynch. Hello, Ned, in Minolte. Uh, he really enjoyed the interview with Miles Dungan. He says he only lives two fields away from where the uh, shootings took place. He knows the Clintons as was speaking and was speaking this morning to their relation, Rita Lynch and uh, Jerry. It was such an interesting uh, chat with Miles. Really enjoying the show. Thanks indeed, uh, Ned. Hope you're having a nice afternoon. And now it's time on Late Lunch, as has been my want all year and will be for the duration of the year to select an artist of the week on Late Lunch. And today, let me tell you, my artist for this week, I love her. Shirley Veronica Bassey was born on January 8th, 1937 in Tiger Bay, Cardiff. She was the youngest of six children and at school, an early age, she was noticed for her voice. Ain't surprised. She left school at 14 and went to work in a local steelworks and she was working away, performing in the local pubs and clubs at the weekend. She signed her first professional contract when she was just 16 for £14 a week, which was a fortune at the time for a 16-year-old. She toured with the variety show Memories of Al Jolson and took to the stage in the theatre production of Hot from Harlem. She then moved to London where she featured in Such Is Life on the West End in 1955. She was spotted there 
and signed for the Philips record label. She released her first single in February 56 called Burn My Candle when she was 19. And listen to this. It was banned by the BBC because of its suggested lyrics. I'm going to have to listen back to that song, to be honest with you. She uh, was then up the charts, top of the charts, with uh, the Banana Boat song in 1957. That really went well for her. As I Love You came out in 58 and reached number one in the UK. Her first number one becoming the first single to top the charts for a Welsh artist. It was our Shirley. Next up in terms of chart success for Shirley was this one. And I'm playing the version of this song because I love it. From the 2009 BBC Electric Proms Live. She'd wooed Glastonbury the year before and here she is introducing the song Reflecting on Glastonbury. Thank you and a very good evening to you ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Roundhouse, the BBC's Electric Proms. Excuse me? Oh, thank you. It's nice to be back. Since Glastonbury. (laughs) Thank you. I gather you were all there. (laughs) In your wellies. (laughs) Like me. Ah, simply brilliant, isn't she? Shirley Bassey. What a singer she is. She's my featured artist of the week and I just love her there. Live at the Promise back in 2009. She is some, some voice. We'll hear more about Shirley and uh, enjoy her music on Late Lunch. Round about this time again tomorrow. Final break of the afternoon. And we're getting really serious next because I'm sure you've heard the story of the little three-month-old baby. Mia O'Connell was attacked by the family dog and died. Shocking, shocking scenario. We're going to have a chat with our vet, Sinead Kelly, next. A three-month-old baby girl sleeps sound in her cot or bed at the family home. The family dog, a Labrador Terrier cross, gets into the room. Shocking news emerging from Waterford. Mia O'Connell was uh, tended to at the scene of the incident but died subsequently at the hospital. Our vet Sinead Kelly is on the line. Hello again, Sinead. Hi, Jerry. Hi, nice to be here. Although not, not, not very good circumstances, no. but a chance maybe to talk about things. Um, yes. Yeah, mine obviously are hearts are with that poor family I can't even begin to imagine what they're going through just horrendous horrendous situation mm, like Sinead the, the reason you're here it's not your usual slot but you were the most appropriate person to speak to today because you often hear people say you know ah he's grand or she's grand the dog loves children mm. I, I'm of the opinion and you know I love my dog Messi like you love yours yeah, and everybody yeah. else but I would never trust him with children I mean, I think the bottom line, and I, I always say this, and, and most people uh, who know dogs would say that you never trust any dog, no matter whether they're the dog that you would say to yourself, well, he or she would never snap or bite. At the end of the day, dogs are animals and they're unpredictable. Even if we've spent our entire, their entire lives with us, 
and we've never seen a problem. They're animals and they're unpredictable. And the problem is, obviously, we don't know the full circumstances of this from what I have heard, similar to what you've heard, that the, the poor little baby was, was asleep and the, the dog got into the room. So, um, I mean, I think, you know, to try and... There's, I suppose there's two kind of components to this. Number one, God, how do we stop that hopefully happening again? And again, I would always say to anybody, and I was the same when my own you know children were, were, were born and babies and toddlers, you just cannot leave a child, you know, unsupervised with a dog, no matter how much you trust that dog. Um, because, you know, big problems, say, with older children, you know, toddlers are a little bit older, they start ear pulling or climbing on the dog or pulling at the dog. And it takes the patience of a saint not to retaliate at that. So that's obviously a big, big problem. And certainly what you can try and do with children, you know, once they're able to communicate and speaking is to, to, to tell them never approach a dog that's asleep or has a toy or is eating or is tired or is unwell. Um, and, and, and so you get them to learn that or, or learn that when they're out and about don't go up to a dog in the street if there's no owner with it if there is an owner don't just go and start tapping the dog on the head ask the owner is, is it okay to do that obviously for little babies and, and children that can't yet communicate I would just say no absolutely not do not leave a, you know, a dog unsupervised uh, w- with a child the problem is that if the baby starts crying or if the baby uh, obviously you know it's a stress it's a new thing in the family if if a, if a baby's born, dogs often just won't really know what they are. They may perceive them as a threat because they're loud, they're smelly, they're noisy, they're, they're an, another um, you know, little creature getting attention from the family. Um, and it's just very hard to predict and to know what is going on in a, in a dog's head and, and what the circumstances are. Now, um, you know, it sounds unfortunately tragically in the situation, like the dog just got upstairs and nobody was aware of that. And, and, and then obviously, or, or who knows, did, did, the, did the baby start crying and the dog felt threatened or, or thought that maybe this was like a, a little creature like a rabbit or, or you know remember we must remember dogs are you know have evolved from wild dogs from wild animals um, and the instinct there the evolutionary instinct to chase things uh, to shake things we see any dog when we give them our toys they shake them they shake yes. them the reason they do that is that they're mimicking what they would have done in the wild which would be shaking prey and that, that's the reality of it you know so um, in that dog in any dog's mind they are just a step away from being a wild dog a jackal, a hyena, a coyote, um, or wolf, you know, a fox, you know, um, you know, something small um, that's making a noise, that is moving, that is alien to them, you know, they will see that as either a threat to them or, or as, or as a, a prey, something that they would, they would go for. So it's not any nastiness on the dog. It's not, you know, they're not sitting there plotting, planning to do something. It's just their instinct. Yes. So it's up to us as, as humans and as adults to make sure that never happens. And the safest way to do that is never allow unsupervised access. And then going on from that, even if you are with a child or a baby and the dog, you know, just, you know, be very, very careful because babies and toddlers, as we all know, move really quickly. Um, I know myself, even with Cleo, who you know is as soft as butter and we yes. would all say she would never hurt anybody. You know, if a dog is asleep or in a deep sleep and somebody, you know, a child falls on top of them, they get a fright, they wake up, they don't know where they are. You know, often the dog's first instinct is to bite or to snap. So it's so easily done. Um, and I suppose the other issue in this, and this comes up every time and I'm waiting for it to, to appear is people will start saying, oh, well, we need to change the dangerous dogs legislation and, and all that kind of thing. And actually, interestingly, in this case, the dog sounds like a crossbreed, a lab and a terrier. And you'll probably be surprised to hear, I did a bit of research today, um, basically, the, in, in the UK, for example, where most of the studies have been done, and the US, in the UK, the dog breeds most likely to bite are Labradors and Collies. 
I know you, Messi, as a Labrador, you'd probably yes. be horrified about that. Not at all, Sinead. You know, that's you know, the most, the, that's the thing. Now, the, the situation in the UK is a little bit different. So, for example, the, there's, um, you know, there's four breeds of dog in the UK that are banned. Uh, pit bulls, uh, Japanese Toza, and two dogs that most people will never have heard of, uh, a doggo Argentino and a uh, filia Brasileiro. No, so those dogs are totally banned. Um, over here, um, there is no banned dog as such. Uh, we have restricted breeds. So, those four breeds and another group of dogs, which include, some people might be surprised to hear, uh, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, German Shepherds, Rottweilers, Dobermans, those dogs, when they're out and about, are supposed to be muzzled under the direct control of the owner on a lead less than two metres in length and under the control of a human being older than 16 who is sufficiently compensated to control it. Now, but obviously in this situation, that wasn't the story, that wasn't the issue. Um, it was, a, it was a, a dog at home. And if you look, I, again, I did a bit of looking back, um, there was a survey done recently, or there was data analysed from 1995, I think, up till 2013. And during that period in Ireland, there were about 3,200 hospital admissions for, for dog bites. Um, and during that same period in, in, uh, in the UK, there would have been a much, much higher number. And in the UK, there would have been about 56 fatalities of, of humans in that period of, say, you know, 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the European countries where, where they're ranked, um, UK is about fourth in the list of, of bites and fatalities. And actually, number one, I think the top three are uh, Romania, Hungary and, and France. Ireland is very, very low down the list. And I, and I think actually this awful case is only, to my knowledge, is about the third case of, of, of a human fatality um, with a dog, a dog attack in Ireland. Uh, the first two, as I'm aware, last year there was a, a young boy attacked by two Rottweilers, the family's Rottweilers, and a couple of years ago a poor woman attacked by her, her son's um, a dog called a Preza Canario, which is not on the restricted breed list simply because it was introduced to the country kind of too, too recently. Um, so those first situations were situations where we'd all kind of go, oh, I'd be a little bit worried about that dog, big, strong, powerful dog. Um, and again, say the studies in the States, again, they have kind of different data. The dog's most likely to bite and the dog's most likely to have serious effects are the bull breeds. So they're like pit bulls, um, pit bull crosses, um, and then coming, I think, closely second are, are German shepherds, and then closely third are kind of mixtures of all these big bull breeds. So in America, there's a different kind of dog-owning uh, public. Uh, in the UK, pit bulls are not allowed at all. Over here, we have these restricted breeds, and, and we're supposed to be controlling them. And certainly, we often hear of dog attacks where children or, or uh, adults have been attacked by dogs when they're out and about minding their own business, and these dogs either escape or get out, or maybe a child goes into someone else's garden, and, and this is what happens. Yes. And so we're all a little bit aware of that, and we're wary. Like, if I see a dog like that off the lead, mm. I would put Cleo back on the lead, and only pick her up sometimes. Yes. But often the danger, the majority of these people are bitten in their own home. Yes. And the, the, the highest risk category are children under the age of 10. And that's you, the message we want to get yeah. out there today, Sinead, that for children especially, no dog is to be trusted. No Always supervise them. Yeah, never, ever, ever. And yeah. We, yeah, that's, that is the main message we want to get across today. Sinead, I have to leave it at that for sure. today. Thank you so much. You're brilliant as usual and we'll be talking in the regular slot in a couple of weeks time absolutely I'll talk to you soon thanks Sinead take care now bye 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 there's the message and I agree I know she mentioned Labrador Sinead there I wouldn't be surprised I'd never trust a dog and Michael is a mature dog loves children but I'd never take my eye off of them because I have grandchildren now as well and smallies around the place and I know what he's capable of
and we think of that poor family and little me O'Connell three months old as we sign off on late lunch this afternoon coming up tomorrow Kira Burke is with us you know Kira well one of our women with opinions she's an interesting uh, chat she's going to have an interesting chat with us tomorrow on the show Sarah Gardner is here as well she's a newly qualified funeral celebrant and more besides on late lunch Wednesday Paul McKenna is coming next with the drive in for Eddie for the next while we'll see you for your late lunch tomorrow Wednesday at 1.30 have a nice evening The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda Dundalk and Cavan we have the biggest range of light commercials in the northeast with same day business finance so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements see blackstonemotors.ie Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.